This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. So we have a guest tonight, really cool dude. I don't know enough about you, but I'm going to after tonight, hopefully. His name is Bill, and well, Bill, take it away, man. Tell us your story. Um, okay. Um, so I was born and raised in Alberta. I was born in Edmonton, but moved to southern Alberta when I was about five and then stayed there till I was 18. Um, I had, a I guess, an average upbringing. My father was fairly successful after a while. He started his own business and got successful and stuff. But I always felt that I didn't fit in the community, in with the people, in with my friends, that, and I didn't know why. I, I, could, I never really figured it out. So when I turned 18, I guess I spent basically the next 30 years of my life looking for it, mm. what I was supposed to do, where I was supposed to fit, what I should do with my life. I went through so many jobs. I tried so many things. I, I spent I did five-year stints. I got out of high school and I spent five years in the military. I got out of the military. I spent five years in the oil field. What did you do in the military? Um, I was a diver. Diver? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. I, spent, I got out and I spent five years in the in the oil field doing what perforating work, which is used with explosives and stuff. Mm. And then when I was finished that, I changed my life completely and, and went to Banff Mountain Resort Towns and worked for the town and in the hospital and stuff, doing security work for them and stuff. And after about five years of that, once again, I just kind of didn't feel any satisfaction or completion that I'd, I had never felt it. And so then I ended up moving to Florida for five years and thought, well, I'll go down there and, and teach diving because I'd been a diver in the Navy and I could take people out doing all the touristy things. And I, mm-hmm. I did that for five years. And ended up back in Canada and, and in Calgary. But the problem is when you live a lifestyle like that and you're starting over continuously because you don't stay with anything and advance yourself, everything else went up in price, but wages didn't for unskilled mm-hmm. labor and stuff. And that's basically what I was and, yeah. and what I could do. So I ended up homeless. Mm-hmm. And in 2000, pretty well, is the year I ended up homeless, right? And, and for... The next 10 years of homelessness, I, I, I got out a couple times by just taking a job and trying to bite the bullet and just work at a job so I could stay not being homeless. But after a while, you, 
you don't see the point of getting up in the morning and going to work because mm-hmm. you're not getting any kind of fulfillment or satisfaction and you're not really making enough money to have any kind of life. So your whole existence is getting up and going to work and then going home, mm-hmm. right? And I, I dabbled with booze and drugs and everything through the years, but it never really became a true issue for me. I had kind of really given up serious drinking in the late 80s and and I never really ended up with issues that way. But what happened when you end up homeless, which is what I did, because you just, once you lose a job, you get to the point where you can't afford to start over. And so I ended up homeless. And after a while with homelessness, it just it becomes easier to stay homeless than it is to get out of homelessness. Mm-hmm. And so for 10 years, I was kind of in and out of homelessness, mostly in about seven out of the 10 years I was homeless. And then... When I was 49, I thought to myself, I've got to figure out what to do with my life or I'm going to die here. I'm going to be 65 years old sitting at these, one of these tables like some of these old guys I see. And I didn't want that. Um, but I didn't know what to do because everything I'd ever tried didn't kind of give me any satisfaction. So I started thinking about the things I'd read all my life about. You have to kind of go back to what you loved as a child and 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 kind of try to find some fulfillment and explore those possibilities. And I remembered that I used to love to draw. Hmm. I love to draw. I got in so much trouble at school and from my parents and everything for filling like the margins of my school books with drawings instead of homework and doing whatever I was supposed to. But it was also where I grew up. It wasn't conceivable that that was some kind of career you could pursue. I grew up in southern mm-hmm. Alberta where I used to joke with people, your two choices here are roughneck or cowboy. <laughs> and and that's basically what it was. It was a, yeah. I grew up in a country town that had oil fields. So there was ranches and, and oil guys. And, and it seemed like those were your choices. So I never really conceived of anything other than that. So when I was like 13, 14, I put away the drawing because I was getting in trouble for it all the time. And my dad was telling me, you know, it's time to start thinking about what you really want to do with your life, not spend all your time wasting and doing this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and everything. He said there was nothing wrong with it as a hobby, but other than that, you better start focusing on school so you can figure out what to do with your life. I never did. Um, So at 49, I started seriously thinking about what I'm going to do. Um, the other thing about having been homeless for a very long time and kind of giving into homelessness is that you actually quit looking for work because it's really hard to do when you don't have any money and you can't have a car to get around and put out resumes and doing it on the bus is just so hard. You get maybe one or two a day because you have to go into foothills and there's no mm-hmm. real pedestrian routes there and buses end at certain points and you got to walk from there. And so after a while, you just start going to the library. And after I'd been sitting in the library for a few years and reading all these books, I started thinking about what I was going to do with my life. And like I said, when I was 49, I started really thinking about it. And I thought to myself, well, if you're sitting here in the damn library every day, why aren't you actually learning something that could be useful to you in getting out of homelessness instead of just using it to pass the time? Mm -hmm. And so I thought about having loved to draw when I was a kid again. And I thought, you know, Maybe it won't go anywhere, but what am I losing if I try? So I made it my New Year's resolution for the year I was going to turn 50. When I was still 49, I thought this year I'm going to, I'm going to start trying to draw and see what happens. And so I sat in the library and I started drawing. And after a couple months, um, people started to say, Oh, 
dude, this is good, right? And mm-hmm. and just kind of peering over my shoulder as they were walking by and stuff. And I was going, what about it? Yeah, no, whatever. And they're going, no, no, this is like seriously good. And I thought, well, okay, that's cool. Maybe this will go somewhere. I'll keep doing this. And so I'd been doing it for about nine months. And I'd been staying at the drop-in warehouse. I always stayed in the warehouses. I didn't like to stay in the main buildings mm-hmm. of either the mustard seed or the drop-in. I liked to go to the warehouses so you didn't have to, you know, you just go sleep and leave. We well, right? didn't have to deal with the front yeah. door being. Yeah, you didn't have to deal yeah. with biometrics and front doors and scanners yeah. and all that kind of just the noise and the mess of it. You just kind of went and you slept and then you had your days to yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, the DI had a art program and I knew that they had an art program, but it was also on the sixth floor, which is the administration floor of the drop-in center. And there was absolutely no way I was going on the administration floor of the drop-in center. You couldn't get me in the main building itself. There was no way you were getting me up there with the guys in suits, Mm -hmm. right? I just wasn't into that at all. But the guy who was running it was another client of the drop-in and he came and tracked me down and he said why don't you come and draw with us i hear you're drawing and stuff and i said no i'm not coming up there and he said well here's news for you we're moving it off the sixth floor into the senior center and they're going to give us our own room off the senior center it's in a completely separate building he said if you come and help me you can have your own table and I said, okay, I'll give this a try. Yeah. And so I went and I, I helped him set it up and everything. And I started drawing. And one, there was two side effects from it. There were both positive things in my life that have changed it. Um, the first was that there was a group of artists called This Is My City Art Society. And they had formed to give people in the shelters and the marginalized chances to express themselves through art instead of just kind of being homeless. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably lose it here a little bit because it still affects me. But of course, man. Um, a lady named Evelyn came and she looked at my stuff and she basically said, you're coming with us. And that was the moment my life truly changed. Um, they didn't need to teach me how to do art, but they started to teach me the business of art hmm. and how to sell yourself and how to get yourself out there. The other thing, the second thing that happened was that this church that we're sitting in right now was one of the display venues for clients of the drop-in center that were doing art, and they also held a once-a-year um, art sale. So I'd been doing it for a couple months at the drop-in center, and I finished a few pieces, and they said, well, come up to the church and hang them, and, and we're going to have an art sale on a Saturday in about a month, and why don't you come and, and put some dis- stuff with that? So I kind of I did that. I thought, okay, I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll go in and see. And there was a, a young lady here named Kim that was um, the community engagement coordinator, basically. She she dealt with the drop-in center, and she was getting the word about the church out there. And she found her to be, like, incredibly kind of, I don't know, vivacious and striking and just full of life. Mm-hmm. And when you're homeless, you don't see a lot of that. You really don't. <laughs> right? yeah, even, fair enough. Even from the people that come to volunteer and everything, yeah. you don't kind of see it at the level Kim had it. So Kim tried to convince me to come to church here. And I said, yeah, sorry, I don't go to church. Yeah. Um, I'd quit going to church when I was 16 years old when my dad gave me the choice. 16 years old, you can either come to church with us on Sundays or not. It's up to you. I said, yeah, no, I got better things to do. And he said, sleep. And I went, yeah, that's one of them. But mm-hmm. but when you're 16, you have cars and girls and churches, one of the last things you want to do. So I quit doing it. And I said to Kim, no, I don't go to church. And Kim said, well, 
we have a, a, a afternoon lunch on Wednesdays where we just sit around and everybody brings their lunch and we also have soup that we make and stuff. And we all just sit around and, and talk. And why don't you come up and, 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 and do, do that and meet some of the people that are buying your art and stuff? And I said, okay, I could do that. And so this is still like my first year when I'm 50. And it's now getting, it's November now. And so for the next two months, I I come for the Wednesday lunch every Wednesday. And I come and I get to know people and we get talking. And sometimes it's a theological question. And sometimes it's just a regular question that we're all kind of discussing. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, well, you know what? I kind of like these people. Maybe I'll try going to church there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my New Year's resolution for the next year was, okay, I'm going to go to church. And so I started coming to church, and it was like coming home. Mm. It really was. Um, I'd never had a problem with God. I always believed in God. I, I don't believe how you can go through the world and not believe in God. Mm. Um, I didn't, however, believe in church. Mm. Um, organized religion seemed to have a lot more defects than it did yeah. have positive <clears throat> things for it. Um, I think the lucky thing for me was by doing the Wednesday lunch, I saw the positive aspects of church, Mm -hmm. which is the people and the people that come to it and the people that make a community. And Mm -hmm. I came to realize that church is more about than religion and and belief in fire and brimstone. It's actually about community. Mm -hmm. I had been missing community for a very long time. Um, So I found one. And since then, I've just stayed with it. But... The cool thing about it is that I I found, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it really because I found what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, When I found art, I found what I was supposed to do. And that enabled me to truly change my life because up to the point where I was 50 years old and started doing art and started coming back to church, I had spent... 40 of those 50 years being a very not nice person. Mm. I am six foot five, 220. I didn't take shit from nobody. Mm-hmm. I served in an elite military unit mm. that we used to go into bars and beat up bike gangs for fun, mm. right? Like, and, and it was just things like that. And, and I lived, when I got out, I went into the biker world and I, all my oil field years and stuff, I was a biker and, and once again, we I didn't tolerate anything from anybody. And it was, I don't know, it was me trying to find some kind of fulfillment within mm-hmm. myself. And it was coming out in like negative, frustrating ways because I couldn't. And I, I thought that I had to live a high-risk, adrenaline-filled lifestyle so that I felt something, so that I, I felt like I was doing something because of the rest of the time I I really didn't, right? Um, I didn't want to be that kind of person. I, I, I truly didn't, but I didn't see any other choice as well because I didn't know what else to do with myself. Um, you kind of just kind of go with it. The fact that I was big kind of helped that, right? Like somebody mouth you off and you smack them, right? Like you get in a lot of trouble and and you you wake up in the mornings going oh god again right like and yeah. stuff but but you don't seem to really kind of 
know what else to do with yourself. And I mm-hmm. didn't. I truly didn't. I tried so many things, so many jobs, right? Like that, um, I said I did five-year stints, but there was like six months here and eight months there where you're doing some stupid little job mm-hmm. just where you're trying to figure out what to do with yourself for, again, right? And I became estranged from my family a long time ago. I made choices that were bad, bad choices and and knew that they were actually, in fact, way better off without me than they were with me around, um, even though they would have argued it with me. I knew better. I knew that it wasn't conducive to me having a good life or them having a good life if I was around them because there's there's always blowback of what kind of person you are in small towns mm-hmm. on your family. And I didn't want that blowback on my family, so I left pretty well when I was 18 and never really went back Mm. type thing. I stayed in contact for lots of years and everything, but went years without as well. And then once I became homeless, there didn't really seem much point anymore because how do you explain that? Mm. How do you explain that to your parents that you're homeless and don't know what to do with your life and getting a job isn't the answer because eventually you're not going to go to the job. You're going to just kind of blow it off because it doesn't do anything for you. Mm. And, one of the other negative things of being homeless is once you've been homeless, even if you get out, it's always there in the back of your head that you can go back. Mm-hmm. If, if it doesn't work out, I'll go back, right? And that's got to be the stupidest thing that I ever heard, but I never accuse myself of being overly brilliant sometimes, But completely right? logical. But, but in a way, even if you yeah. don't want it to be, it's in there, yeah. right? And so as, as you're getting tired of going to work because you don't – enjoy it and you're not getting any fulfillment out of it you start remembering well at least well if i blow off this job i could at least I at least have a place to sleep mm-hmm. right and, and food to eat right and then maybe i'll figure it out again but though every time it seemed to take longer to get out and easier not to yeah. right and it wasn't like it's truly funny i don't know really how to explain it other than that when i found myself it all totally changed within me Right? Like the drive to get out became overwhelming when I discovered what I was supposed to do with my life. Yeah. It truly became overwhelming and, and, and my entire focus. And so for the first couple of years, I truly kind of focused on improving my art technique and making money at it so that I could get out. And then I did. And, and so it's been now, I've been out of homelessness now for like seven years. Right on. Um, Congrats. And it's kind of been getting better every day. Um, I have people that love me. I have people that I love. Um, I get to do cool art things. Um, yeah. Whether I do it for myself or if I do something publicly or, or just contract work for people or whatever i get to spend my days with joy is basically what it is because i get total joy out of it and it's still a unique fresh feeling i'm 59 years old and i kind of right like i get this unique kind of feeling of joy every day which mm-hmm. i truly thought that i was never going to get it to be getting it when you're almost 60 i think is kind of really kind of interesting and cool that's pretty uh, cool man. i used to Tell my parents that anybody over 55 shouldn't be allowed to drive because you were like <laughs> old and done with, right? Like, and, <laughs> yeah, and, until you're 55. Until you're 55. <laughs> now that I'm 59, I'm going, ooh, okay. Um, type thing and stuff. It's like you're but, knocking on heaven's door all of a sudden. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing about it was having found a church, um, <clears throat> 
it kind of helped start to lessen that intensity that I had been under all the time. I was homeless too, because I've always compared being homeless to like living in a combat zone. Mm. You're always on edge. You always have to be ready. You can never truly be totally relaxed because you're never sure totally what's going on around you, Mm -hmm. right? And so- when you first come out, there's an adjustment to make and you don't even know it yourself that mm. you don't look at people the way most people look at people. You yeah. look at people as like a potential threat. You can't afford to right? look at them And you can't afford yeah. to look at them any other way. So it took me a couple of years after coming out to Mellow, but the cool thing was I met some people here that have become such good friends and family to me that they truly gave me a reason to change. Um, mm. More than just what I found for myself, which gave me a reason to change, when you have people in your life, that truly gives you a reason to change Heck as yeah. well, right? Like, and then kind of making peace with myself and with everyone around me and with God too, because even though I had always believed in God, I had some issues because here I was homeless and mm-hmm. I, I always knew that it was my own fault and the choices I made that led me to it, but I was a little upset that there hadn't been a little more guidance. Yeah. And, and maybe there had been and I had ignored it or hadn't recognized it or something because now that things are actually kind of going in a good way for me, I see those things and I recognize them when they're there type thing and stuff. And I maybe didn't before because I was always on edge and always defensive mm-hmm. and always kind of ready to fight at the drop of a hat type thing, right? Like, um, I don't know, but I know it's it's been a good last, you know, seven years type thing. It's yeah. kind of truly been good and I'm um, finding more out of it every day and now that I've kind of gotten involved much more in my church and with recovery services and just the regular services and everything I'm finding that I'm also kind of happy in service which means I like doing things to help Um, I kind of spent a guess a good portion of my life being all about myself um, and not really caring about any other person other than myself, really, right? Like it was all these things coming together that kind of helped me see all this stuff and want to change. And I think and I hope I'm kind of changing into and becoming the person I was always supposed to be. Um, I spent a lot, a lot of years not being that person, but that means nothing anymore because I'm spending the rest of my time being that person. Mm-hmm. And that to me is just being someone who is a productive member of society, but more than like when you say productive, I mean part of society, helping society to change mm-hmm. and move forward. And, and make it better for all the children that we're bringing into the world and everything, right? And as we get more and more people, that gets harder and harder. So we have to start thinking about those things. And so focus on that through art and other things as well and, mm-hmm. and trying social justice things and stuff. And that's all kind of the direction I've been going. And it's all funny from having found what I was supposed to be. I, I was, my addiction was homelessness. I was addicted to homelessness. Mm. It was so easy to get addicted to it, right? Like, like I said, it was so much easier not to go look for work and not to put any effort and just kind of coast through the days. Um, most homelessness, we always used to 
joked that it's like the Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day. Oh, Every yeah. day is the same over and over. You didn't care what day of the week it was yeah. because it wasn't different than any other day. Um, and in fact, it was weird things within homelessness too. Um, people look forward to long weekends. Well, not when you're homeless, you don't. Because mm-hmm. when you're homeless and it's a long weekend, there's zero things to do, especially if you have no money. Yeah. And all the places you normally would go to without money are closed on long weekends. So that's much more time outside or hanging around on a floor of people that there's a thousand people on and the Mm -hmm. cacophony of noise is just deafening, right? And it it was weird too. Um, um, I used, most people look forward to going home at the end of the day and relaxing and put Mm -hmm. their feet up and, and then going to bed and getting a good night's sleep. For homeless people, it's the opposite actually. You kind of look forward to leaving it during the day so you can go out and find some peace and quiet Mm -hmm. and relax a little bit because at night there's all always noise even when you're asleep you're never asleep because oh, yeah. there's always people about and moving and everything and you're always just kind of in that little kind of REM state where you're not quite sleeping and not quite awake and, mm-hmm. and you end up getting about four hours of sleep a night and you just body gets used to that and you just right they yeah. say that People have a, a people who are homeless have a five year less life expectancy than other people because based how, on sleep and shit. based on how hard it is on your body yeah Thing. And I have no doubt about that because there was one of the weird side effects that I saw with myself and even a couple of buddies of mine when you got out is that for the first couple of weeks, you just sleep. You go to bed at 7 o'clock at night and get up at work in the morning to go and then you come home and go to bed at 7 o'clock again mm-hmm. and you just do that for a couple of weeks and catch your body up on all that rest you deprived it of for all yeah. the years you were homeless and then you start getting back into some normalcy and stuff and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just funny how it affects you without you even knowing it type thing and and – and now, like having looked back on it and everything, I'm getting to the point where seven years is a pretty long time to be away from it now, mm-hmm. I hope. Yeah. And you kind of can recognize some of the things that it did to you and stuff. And, and it also kind of gives you a little more empathy for the people that are still there. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'll be honest, when I was there, I didn't have any empathy for any of them, not for anybody else, right? Like, especially the ones where you're always hearing the stories, like you always hear, it's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault that mm-hmm. they ended up in their circumstances. And, and that used to just make me nuts because it's never anybody else's fault. It's your own fault. Mm-hmm. You make choices and they lead you to whatever path you're on yeah. type thing and stuff, right? And so now, though, having looked back at everything, I started to find that empathy for people and I that are in there and I truly never thought I would. Mm-hmm. I, I truly thought when I walk away from there, I don't ever want to go back near it type mm-hmm. thing. And I and I haven't really, um, even though they were kind of truly instrumental in helping me get out in a way they didn't provide me a place to live or anything or that, but for as negative as homelessness was, it also had a positive aspect in that it truly allowed me the time to find myself and what I was supposed to do with my life. They didn't truly push you to do stuff that you didn't want to just so you could get out of it mm-hmm. and go have a job. If you needed to be in there for whatever reason, then you were allowed to be in there, right? And it gave me the time. And then... They truly kind of helped me at the end when I discovered I wanted to do art and was starting to get some notice about it because they helped 
befund a mural that I ended up doing outside the drop-in center with mm -hmm. a few other people. And then I did some other stuff around and stuff. And they also got me in a course that the city was running on, on artists working in the community. And it was to teach local public artists how to, how to deal with the city. So you could start applying for some of these major contracts mm -hmm. that everybody's all, all the Europeans and Americans are always getting and Canadians yeah. don't ever seem to get. And so they were running these courses and I got into the very first one. And I got a $15,000 contract from the city in it. And next thing I knew, I was kind of off and running. And it truly enabled me to leave homelessness with confidence and also not that nagging worry that you always have when you get basically labor-based wages is that if I miss one paycheck, I'm homeless again. Yeah. For the first time in a very, very long time, I had money in the bank that I wasn't going out and blowing because that's the other thing homelessness teaches you with is to live without money. And when you can live without money, you can put money in a bank and and, and not spend it just because you got it. And I'd always believed that money was for spending, right? And so I'd never saved anything. I never really got ahead anyway, which is one of the other reasons you end up being homeless because you don't have any kind of nest egg or anything. And it enabled me to get one when I when I started doing my art and stuff. And, and so now I focus on that focus on that and I want it I try to create things of beauty that people will enjoy and stuff but at the same time I also think there's there's a certain responsibility to try to every individual should try to make the world a better place and if every individual tried to make the world a better place it wouldn't be such a bad place mm. and let's kind of talk it's broken right mm. like we know it's broken um, we just don't really quite know how to fix it yet we just need more people on board and they're fixing it mm. and I think that's slowly coming so we just kind of do what we can do right and yeah so you're working on any projects right now? Uh, well, currently I'm always working on something. I mm -hmm. try to draw something every single day. Um, I've got a couple, three different things on the go. One is um, like an illuminated manuscript, right relations piece. I've been working on that. A which? A right relations illuminated oh, okay, yeah. manuscript piece. Um, I've been working on that one for a couple of years. Um, it's actually quite big and, yeah. and is all done in the style of the old illuminated manuscript style mm -hmm. with um, uh, gold and silver and things like that in it mm -hmm. and, and vines and all that kind of fancy lettering and stuff and everything. And so lately I've been working on um, my calligraphy. Um, mm -hmm. So I can get the lettering to be a little better and stuff. Yeah. And um, I also do um, greeting cards. I take contracts for people. I do children's posters, like um, personalized children's posters um, for kids for like their rooms or whatever, mm -hmm. for the door of their room or whatever. Um, I do marriage certificate birth certificate type of fancy stuff for people. Mm -hmm. um, um, if, you have, if you want something other than like the generic store kind of thing, I'll create something that's unique and personalized for yourself. And, Fuck, and you got a website? Um, well, I haven't actually gone around to set up a website yet. I mostly get it by word of mouth but I'm talking to people about getting either a, my own website set up or maybe an Etsy page, mm. which sounds like might be the better idea because most of yeah. the stuff I would have would be for sale. So yeah. it, it would do that. And then I would take custom orders is, is more like that is more what I want to do than trying to produce a whole bunch of things and then trying to sell them. I Make sure you give us your email. Custom. We'll attach it to the, we'll attach it to the link. That oh, yeah, way. My email is easy. Illustrations by Bill at hotmail.com. Oh. Yeah. Illustrations by Bill at hotmail.com. Yeah. All you ladies out there, send him emails right this second. <laughs> yeah. Not too many. Um, Just kidding.
This isn't live anyway. So. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. As many as you want. <laughs> the only ladies that really listen are going to be like Darcy's wife, Heather, my yeah. partner, yeah. and probably my mom. Who I've met. And your mom. Yeah. Before. And we were teasing your mom earlier about how do we find it? She goes, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's on YouTube, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's not on YouTube. It's yeah. not on YouTube? She picks the one that it's not oh. actually on yet. Yeah. <laughs> We're on every other platform except, except for, for YouTube. YouTube. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. But we're we're going to make the transition once we start thinking about video mostly. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing with oh, video. We can't even get each other to do the five-minute live video for Facebook, like go live yeah, beforehand. Yeah. We were going to do that. We yeah. did it one week and that yeah. was it. Yeah, we do it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Then I said we were going to alternate and this guy over here, you can't yeah. hear right now, said, no, we're not. So that's why it's not happening. Yeah. I don't I want to cooperate. I don't want to be told that I have to do it all. It just made me cry. <laughs> so you've got a bunch of stuff going on um, right now. Yeah, art-wise I got a whole bunch of stuff going yeah. on. But then I also got another kind of cool thing which truly like once again joy. Um, because I'm involved with both church services that happen in this in this church and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, my second love other than art has always been music yeah. and and not necessarily making music but listening to music because mm-hmm. I don't really play anything. I fool around a little bit on a couple things but I don't really play or anything but I love music oh, and yeah. I've been given the opportunity through both services to kind of start booking music for them and selecting some music for them. And it's kind of funny because when I look back at it as a kid – those were the two things that I thought would make my life the happiest. Mm-hmm. Is if I could do art and have something to do with music as well. Yeah. And it, it's just like stupid kind of in a way because I didn't believe either one of them was possible. Mm-hmm. And here I am now almost 60 years old and have found both of them within the last few years and, and I'm going to do them. And so I learned a lesson from it that it's kind of really true what they say. It's never too late. Mm-hmm. You can you can start stuff when you're old, yeah. right? Like I, I guess they don't really consider me being old yet, because yeah. But you feel like you're. But old. I feel like I'm old because yeah. when I was a kid, this was definitely old, yeah. right? Like <laughs> it, <laughs> since I've changed from a kid to this age, it's changed. Where we all live a lot longer, it seems like and healthier. Mm-hmm. But when I was a kid, this was old, and so to me, it's still kind of yeah. old, right? And so it's kind of a cool old though. Mm-hmm. You get. You found the things that you truly did love and got mm. to do them anyways, right? Yeah. Like, and I don't believe that truly that has all to do with me or anything or whatever. That's, I finally recognized that God was waving like a big sign going, mm. dude, don't think stopping you is yourself. And, mm. and in the end, that's what it really came down to because I shouldn't have cared what anybody else said or told me. Um, if I'd had a too too passion for it like I did. I should have went for it anyways. Absolutely right. But you you know we can't underestimate the power of that of that statement from our parents. Oh no, or can't. from a, or whoever or, said or, it, or just right? from our world. Because yeah. in reality, I maybe truly didn't think it was possible either. Because I knew obviously that there were people that drew comic books and stuff mm. because I read them, right? But 
they were living in New York City as far as I knew. And yeah. New York City was so far away from southern Alberta that it was like, seemed like another planet yeah. type thing. So I, I guess maybe I truly didn't think that it was possible either or how you would even go about doing that, yeah. right? And stuff. So I, I, I looked for other things, I think, without knowing that I was even looking for something else, mm -hmm. right? Like I tried all those things and did all those adventures, but I wasn't consciously searching for what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I was just living my life as I thought it was unfolding type thing and and didn't realize that I truly could give it a direction if I wanted to. And, mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I had all that time. See, that was the thing about homelessness. It gave me a lot of time to think about what the hell are you doing with your life? What are you going to do mm -hmm. with your life? Why are you this type of person? This isn't really who you are inside. So why are you this way outside yeah. type thing? And and it, it kind of... Yeah, I don't know. It kind of all worked out in the end. But yeah, I think God finally kind of waved a big sign or gave me a big whack. And I mm -hmm. kind of went, oh, oh, okay. And and started doing it, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it's funny how quickly my life did change to the way it was, I think, supposed to go once I kind of recognized that. Mm -hmm. And instead of fighting against it or even questioning it, I just thought, no, just go with this. Mm -hmm. And I went with it. And, and here I am now, right? Like, and, and I like yeah. my life now. Right, like um, it's funny because for the longest time I would have told you I didn't. Right, like and and now I actually truly do. Um, it's kind of neat to have joy in the morning when you mm -hmm. wake up. Right, like I always used to wake up in a pretty good mood and try to make the best of the day as I could because mm -hmm. I also believed if you go through it being depressed and negative all the time that there isn't much point to even doing it mm -hmm. um, type thing. So you got had to look for some positive aspects. But when you truly find something that's joy, it's a different kind of feeling in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. And and I look forward to getting up and I look forward to the things I have to go do, right? Like it's no more of that, oh, crap, here, I got to go again, right? Yeah. Like it's no, and it's kind of, that's why it's also fresh and unique and, and I maybe ramble a little bit about it over and over again is because I actually am kind of surprised by what I find in life now. You're not rambling right? at all, man. Um, type stuff, right? Like I just, I enjoy it. And so yeah. I'm, hopefully I'm going to keep enjoying it, right? Like I'm not dead yet, so. Um, Far from it. No. And, well, as far as we know. Well, yeah. I might, <laughs> might be and don't know it. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about me either. Although, um didn't I read something once about that whole existentialism stuff that says um, pretend you don't exist and go from there? Yeah. yeah. That's actually not a bad place to start. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like they, in, the, in, uh, in one of the 12-step fellowships, they talk about uh, there's a big fear of people becoming the hole in the donut, right? And, and everyone's afraid of this. And I'm like, that's what I want. Yeah. Like yeah, I, I want to be the hole, the hole in the donut. In the donut. I think because I the hole in the donut yeah. is – Exactly as it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's a whole Zen thing, I think. Well, it's a, yeah, and like the hole in the donut. donut I want to yeah. be like, I want yeah. to be, and this is going to sound really weird, but when I'm meditating or praying or doing my my things throughout the day, I, I literally want to be less. I yeah. want to be less. Yeah. Like I want to be less. I want all of me to understand how less I am. So that I can get out of the way easier. Yeah. I, right? I, I agree with you. I don't know if that I, makes any sense. But it does make sense because that is truly kind of what I think we're supposed to do. That's right? might be like, too. That's what I think. Get out of the way and let what yeah. happens, happens and just kind of assist it. Yeah. On its way into happening. Right? Totally. Like, yeah, I think so too. Um, well, and you're, you're talking earlier about fellowship at the churches and, and there's, there's something to that, right? Because I'm hard on churches. 
because I've been raised in in one and I'm hard on them. I'll always be hard on them. Yeah. And and but there's also that that bright side of them. Oh, that, sure. Because look, even within my own church, there's issues, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, not everybody's ever going to get along, no matter Absolutely. what you do. Uh, that's just part of our nature and, and the way we were made um, and stuff. So that, but it, that's there's a reason for that, and that's so that we can find ways to work together mm-hmm. and be po- more positive and stronger going forward, even with our differences, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's what truly gives us the strength. Like, um, Sometimes it's weird. Like I think maybe sometimes we're all fooling ourselves into thinking we know what God wants or what God well, wants for us because yeah. Tell me about it. The problem with man, of course, is that we corrupt every single thing we touch, and we <laughs> had control true. of this kind of stuff for a long time now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so who knows what the initial message was? But I think we go with. I've always kind of gone with the belief of do unto others as you would have them do mm-hmm. unto you. Um, the problem with having been a very not nice person for a very long yeah. time is that that can be a fairly highly risky lifestyle. No um, doubt. And it was. But so yeah. now, though, that it's not that kind of person anymore, it's actually more of seeing it getting better for people and everything, mm-hmm. right? And I think if we all can find some kind of community and get rid of the rest of the crap that goes on around it, mm-hmm. we can make the world a better place. I don't yeah. know if we're going to. Um, we're probably not. It's going to go downhill until it's that day that yeah. is what we're looking for type thing. And mm-hmm. it might be in our lifetime. It might not. Um, um, but I don't think it matters either. I think you just do what you do. Yeah. Right, like, and and try to influence other people for good, right, instead mm-hmm. of for bad, right. And I spent a lot of time doing for bad, so now I'm going to make it up and do it for good, and yeah. this is the way I was supposed to, I think. So, yeah, yeah, and then life does feel just a lot better. Yeah, well, right. it absolutely does. Like I said, yeah. I actually like getting up in the mornings, yeah. and I look forward to my days and stuff, and the things I get to do. I, mm-hmm. I it's funny. I consider my job and my calling and everything now to be a privilege mm-hmm. right instead of a chore like it used to be it's yeah. actually kind of a privilege to be able to get up and, and do this stuff and and feel contentment in life right mm-hmm. it's kind of yeah it's a privilege i enjoy it well, i'm gonna let you know something because last night i was here with uh the family that we did the service for today yeah and i was showing them this the chapel and we walked through the kitchen and yeah. um and so when we as soon as we went in the chapel uh, her friend, my friend's friend, um, from Sylvan Lake, she was like a kid and she's an atheist. So, so I'm in, we're in the, in the sanctuary and I, I'm standing next to Jesse and we're both like, what is happening to her? What is she, Jesse's like, what is she doing? And I said, I know what she's doing. Cause I did this. Yeah, this is what happens when, when a, a spirit is like ready or open. Even if just for a minute, because there is something in this specific church that fills people with some goodness. Well, fills some people with goodness. Yep, I'm not going to so, say that it's going to fill everybody with goodness because that's not possible. No, it's not. But it, maybe it is though because. It, but it turned this it, girl into this girl who doesn't go to church into this girl who's so curious all of a sudden about church. She was like, can I go up in the, where the choir sits? And she's like all over the sanctuary, <laughs> hey? And I'm sure you've seen a kid doing that. Oh, I, I've Tons seen, of times. But like you have seen adults do it too. Of because course. Because you're right. Like people come in and they have it and they go, oh, 
this is a church, right? And and but I, something else hits them. Yeah, but I think it is something. That, I think they think it's that because it's a church, but it is something yeah. else that hits them. It is, and it's the fact that God's here. Oh yeah. Right? Like, and yeah. I don't doubt that people are like. So one of my jobs here is to is to check this church over at night and everything, mm-hmm. and make sure everything's locked up and all the doors are closed and all the lights are out and all that. And and people often say to me, "How can you walk around there in the dark? Isn't it spooky?" And I go. <laughs> No, in fact, it's actually the opposite of spooky. Yeah. It's comforting and safe, mm-hmm. and and I feel totally at ease when I'm doing it mm-hmm. and stuff and everything. And I think there's something here for sure. For right? sure, there yeah, absolutely right. Like that I, person was one. Um, we were all watching I love this her. Place. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I yeah. loved coming here at night and stuff, and, and yeah. just kind of even relax sometimes and stuff. And even though I live next door, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, thing, but right? it's a like, really cool place to be. Oh, it is, right? Like I'll take my breaks here some days. So oh, if absolutely. I don't have, but if, if I have time in between uh, uh, counseling appointments or whatnot, I will just take a break here. Well, because it's a comfortable space. Oh, right? it is. I really yeah. like it here. So yeah, um, yeah we're just going to keep going forward and trying some new things and go. Cool. Kind of like recovery is. We'll try new things yeah. and do new things. and That's what it's all about. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, I thought it was awesome tonight. Oh, so. I thought so too. Right? Like, yeah. And it's kind of cool when you get to kind of, oh, I'll just, yeah, dude. I'll just play my playlist. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's the key, though, that you just mentioned, that God is here, right? Yeah. God is here, but God's in the people. Oh, absolutely. Right? And, yes. and we, every person that comes through brings God, right? Oh, I keeps think so. God yes, I think flourishing. So. Here, yes, yeah. I think so too. And yeah. I think that has permeated into this church over the years, right? Mm. Like, and so when you come in, you get some of that resonance of, yeah. of all the people that have brought God in with them when they came. Yeah, totally. Right? And I think, yeah, and I think that's what it is. I think the buildings can take on the character mm-hmm. of the people that have used them for a hundred years, right? Oh, and yeah. that's, we've been using this building for a hundred years. A lot so, of ghosts in here, man. Yeah, I think so. Yes, yeah. absolutely, right? And and not the ones that died in here, but the ones that came here after yeah. they passed. Their spirits are here, was yeah. a, a place of comfort for them, and, and they returned to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think so. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's quite it's, possible. Boy, we, there's so much we don't know. There's lots of things that are quite possible. Absolutely. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that we have to not, we have to put away your disbelief and kind of be open to everything, right? Like, well, the more I learn, the more I recognize there is to learn. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's no question right? like, I know very little. Uh, yeah. uh, one of the funny things I learned the other day was I actually never knew what the word prodigal meant. Yeah. Um, I'd always heard like this prodigal son story mm. come up and I just bring it because that's Tomorrow's sermon is the mm. prodigal son, but oh, I never okay. knew what the word prodigal meant. I always thought it meant some kind of like favored or firstborn or mm. something, right? Like, and so when you heard the story, you can understand why the father would be so hurt and the brother, because mm-hmm. the favorite son kind of went off and, and squandered everything. It yeah. wasn't until I had to give a children's lesson on it tomorrow that I thought maybe I should look this word up and see what it actually means mm-hmm. and discovered that it means wasteful. Mm-hmm. And so you learn something all the time. So there you go. I learned something. Yeah. Um, and it's been used in a, in a sense that gives it a positive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, because the story love. is positive. The, so. the story is about God's love. Yeah. That even if you stray, yeah. if you come back and are truly sorry, God will forgive you and, and, mm. and welcome you back. And that's yeah. exactly what the story is. The, the son had squandered everything away, but he was truly sorry he had done it. Mm-hmm. Right. That was the other thing. And he didn't expect to be welcomed back. He expected yeah. to get a job as a servant type thing. And I think. It's that part of it that shows what the true lesson there is, that mm-hmm. as long as you're truly sorry, you, you should be forgiven for it. Mm-hmm. It's when you're not that 
why would you be forgiven, yeah. Lord, right? Like, and stuff. And then, yeah, and your dad and I were talking a little bit about the other side of that was the brother, and he said he compares the brother to the church. And I said, oh, I just kind of compared the brother to the faithful. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, the people that don't stray from the path and mm-hmm. always stay on the path. They're the brother out in the field who ended up a little bit judgmental and, and bitter and, and, and bitter that the yeah. brother come back, but that's not right either. It's it's like he like he said, it was like he was dead. Welcome him back. Mm-hmm. Right. And and stuff. And that's the way it should be in church too, right? Yeah. Like people that stray should be welcomed back and not judged. Church right? is like, supposed to be a place for the sick, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. To heal. Yeah. Exactly. To come and heal. Right. Yeah. And that's <clears throat> you know, we we're in true the problem I've always had was churches is that they're in the true danger of becoming the things that Jesus preached against, mm. which was the Pharisees and the and the rote and, and everything like that. Jesus wasn't about that. Jesus was about being a rebel and trying new things and mm. and recognizing people for what they were, which was people, mm. right? And everything. And I've always had problems with churches because I don't think that they truly kind of were getting that. They were kind of getting the old ways and yeah. wanting to maintain everything the way it's always been type yeah. thing. And I think, though, that we're lucky that in the last few years, we're getting a little bit resurgence in churches of everything, of young mm. people coming in again because they're starting to understand that and realize that they don't have to follow the old ways. They can do new things and try mm. new things. Yeah. Um, and I think we're even getting some of the old people on board with it too. Yeah. who have always been that way and, and stuff. And that's a good thing. So there's hope for the future with that too, I hope. Right? I sure like, hope so. I hope so too. Right? I sure like, hope so. I don't want to see an end in my lifetime. Um, yeah, I mean, that, you know what? Like it would be really hard to see that. Yeah, it would. It would be um, hard. As much as like I've had a mixed relationship with yeah, it, it's- Yeah, and as much as I'm going to be okay with it when it does come yeah. because I'm content with myself and my place with God, mm-hmm. um, it would still be a very hard thing to witness and, and, and do, yeah. right? But- some someday somebody's gonna have to, so yeah. why not us? Right, like yeah. yeah. But at the same time, kind of hold out that hope that maybe we're not done for another thousand or two yet. Yeah, right? like, I who, yeah. I hope so. Right? Yeah, I really do too. Yeah. And I would like to see it go to. I don't. Know, I guess the corny well, thing is the Star Trek utopia. Yeah, but, yeah. I want to. I want to put a little caveat on that. I hope it. I hope it stays if it changes. Yeah, oh, if it changes, right? Better, I hope yeah. it go. I hope yeah. it dies if it doesn't. Because um, it's funny. It's like we always talk amongst ourselves and everything and. Lots of people do, and lots of the people out there listening to this will have done it too about how cyclic the yeah. world seems to be, right? Yeah. So it's almost, it's taken a very long time, but it's mm-hmm. almost to the point now where we're driving it back to the time that started causing all the revolutions among people where they stood up and said, it's exactly what it seemed like happening. of this and everything, yeah. right? And yeah, and so maybe we're going to see it get better yeah. because maybe there's going to be another kind of yeah. revolution of the people after a while, yeah. right? And say, yeah, we've had enough of this, right? And we want this to change. Yeah, I yeah. just, I was hearing a, uh, last night I was talking to a friend and was listening about uh, an indigenous person who was talking about the the um what do they call the village at stampede now oh uh, indigenous yeah it's not indian. tv village or something yeah, like TV that village or something it's not indian village anymore well thank god else. right yeah. like thank yeah. god yeah so i was hearing oh. a story about that and about how um how how it works to get selected and all this kinds of stuff to get in i was hearing it secondhand or thirdhand or whatever you want to call it and uh it's just so fundamentally wrong 
Oh, it is. And, and I think for anything, though, within the stampede, it's all fundamentally done wrong. But this is right? where I like, think we need that change, right? Oh, absolutely. That. Because, yeah, it's within that. It's I don't. It's not nepotism because that's not actually what it is. It's, it's so screwed up, man. Like so I, somebody somewhere else deciding who's worthy and who's not. Right? Yeah. Like, and but it's not worthy based on talent. No, like it's, it's not worthy, worthy based on knowing them, right? Yeah, like, or years of yeah, or years, or years of, of yeah, year, yeah. years of them, right? Yeah, yeah and it, it, it we don't see we see it not too different in churches though, don't we? Yeah, when you had things that way for years and years and years, you get a lot of of resentment if you want to change it, yeah. right? And you get a lot of no, no, we can't change it. It's always been that way. They've always been here. They've always performed here, right? Yeah. And and just because you find somebody new that's better or or different, sometimes you can't get that across. But we need to, mm-hmm. right? That's how we evolve. Right, and yeah. if you don't evolve, you stagnate, and if you stagnate, you die. Well, right, everything and, does. And, yeah. Yes, and exactly yeah. right. And so, if it doesn't evolve, and that's what we need to evolve, even in things mm-hmm. like that, and the way we do things, the decision making things. Yeah. Um, I've taken some stuff in the art world of where we talk about colonialism and how mm-hmm. cities are designed, and yeah. and how neighborhoods are designed, and things like that, and it's all done based on the colonial system, which mm-hmm. is so out of date. It's not even funny and doesn't make any sense anymore. Keeps creating ghettos, though. And keeps creating ghettos is right <laughs> and, and unsafe neighborhoods and stuff, but nobody ever seems to learn or it takes too much effort to change. When Unless you're Scandinavian countries. Yeah, yes, unless you're Scandinavian. But in North American <laughs> countries especially, it's, yeah. it's easier to go with than it is to change. It's very funny here. You can get away with anything you want in North America pretty much as long as you don't interfere with people's comfort levels. Mm-hmm. Right, you see all the corruption scandals within government, and that government then gets reelected again, mm-hmm. even though it proved they were all crooks and ripped people off. But you didn't change anybody's comfort level, so they don't really care, yeah. right? It's, it's they found a way to do it without. Well, they sure have, man. right? Like, yeah. And, yeah, and it's all we see it all in the movies now that talk about it, but it's yeah. actually the truth. You don't, if you don't change people's comfort levels, they don't get who's, upset. Who's going to rebel if they can still buy a sixty-five inch TV for five hundred bucks? Exactly, right. Yeah. Like and, and have their 2.5 cars and their right. 2.5 children yeah. and their big house where they don't have to see their family if they don't want to yeah. and things like that, right? And yeah, and as long as you don't mess with that, then you can pretty much do what you want. Which is is fascinating, but this is where the conversation with my friend went. I said, the only time, and it's coming, I don't know when, maybe not in our lifetime, so I'm not trying to say that I'm a, I'm a prophet of some kind. I am not. I cannot even tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow, let alone prophesy something. But I'll tell you what will happen eventually is people will start lighting fires. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. we will start fighting back. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yes. Like there's no question in my oh, mind yeah. well, if if the governments and the, the whoever's yeah. in charge of this shit keep pushing us, yeah. eventually they're going to find out that we don't like to be pushed. Yeah. Well, and you can see it already that within some of the social justice art, yeah. um, especially within the European artists, yeah. Banksy and Blue and these guys who are, who are creating big social justice pieces about what is wrong with the world, that's how we've kind of learned to do it. Eyes we, open, yeah. we know violence isn't the answer for most things. So not we, yet. Not yet. Yeah. That's right. So first you do the things that you're allowed to do. You do peaceful yeah. protests. You do public art projects that 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 rail against corrupt governments and 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 
industry that doesn't care about people, only about money and profit and everything. Mm -hmm. And you try that way. And then after a while, when that doesn't work, that's when we're going to start seeing acts of violence and fires and other things, because eventually it comes to the point where that's the only thing they're going to seem to understand. That's what it seems like. Yeah. Yes. Why aren't you reading the signs? But it's very funny because I've recently been given a lot of thought to the end of the world by man. Mm. And that is us having like depleting all our natural resources and changing the the amount of oxygen the ocean will put out and things like that. And mm. we could create our own world and yet or the end of our own world and yet people say, Oh no, man's not that stupid in it and everything. But if you look historically, we did it before. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe not to the entire earth, but small little microcosms that they've studied now and know. And the one that gets me the most is um, the Easter Island one and the, the Rapa Nui, where the people of Easter Island that built the big giant statues. Oh. Um, okay. So what they've kind of got now with the whole Easter Island thing was that Easter Island was a very productive forested island with animals and life and villages and all the people. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, all the villages ended up getting into a contest about who could make the biggest and best kind of Easter Island head that's out there on the bluff and Mm -hmm. everything, right? And they've shown, they know where they got the rock from now because the quarry's there and everything and all this rock is missing from it and everything. Mm -hmm. And they said what happened was that the only way to move the, the rock from the quarry to the cliffside where it was like 70 miles away was the same way the Egyptians did it. And the Egyptians ended up doing the same thing because the Egyptians, it was lush and forested and mm-hmm. grasslands in Egypt as well. They cut down all the damn trees to move these stones and killed their whole island. And and what the, the scientists and everything now is figure, they knew it. They knew the island was dying because of what they were doing, but for whatever reason, they couldn't stop themselves and they couldn't change. Mm -hmm. And it makes me kind of think that maybe that's what we're doing. We know. There's people that know that we're killing this planet, right? There's other people that will argue, didn't say we're not type thing, but it's obvious that we are. And if we change it enough, then we won't support human life. It might still support life. It's just not going to be human life. Oh, thank God. Yeah, and because, yeah, we're like a little virus on this thing. Yeah, we are. Um, and it's going to change again, but that's what I mean. Like, just because we know we're doing it doesn't mean we're going to change. Yeah. Right? Like, we might- That's the shittiest part about the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. The whole thing is, and yeah. and maybe even if we stopped everything right now, tomorrow, it would still be too late because yeah. we don't know we're getting things, we're putting things into the atmosphere that won't affect us for another 50 years mm-hmm. type thing and stuff. So we don't know what's going to happen. But we think yeah. we don't know what's going to happen- over the next 50 years because we don't want to assume that something could happen much sooner. Oh, yeah. And it could right. it could happen yeah. any day. It could happen any moment, yeah. right? Like um, when you read the stuff like that they put out there and stuff, and it's not doomsday scenario stuff, I don't think. I think it's in general information stuff. Um, talks about like the poles of the earth shifting occasionally, mm. the magnetic poles having yeah. shifted over the years, like over the course of time and everything. And the, the same, we're way overdue for it happening again because mm. of how it used to happen all the yeah. time and stuff and things like that. And things like that, they could happen at any moment, mm. right? Um, I read something a while back about the rice, the Ross ice shelf in the Antarctica. Mm. If it broke off, and there's a big, big crack in it, apparently, like that runs the whole length of it. If it actually broke off from the rest of the ice flows, it would only need to drift like a mile and a half or two miles, and it would cause the Earth to rotate on its axis or shift. 
anyways. Yeah. It will cause the earth to move type thing mm-hmm. and stuff. So wow. it's always been man's kind of egotism that thinks that we're the center of, of the universe and we haven't really truly got any better about things like that, even though we know that we're just part of the big cosmos. We still yeah. kind of think that nothing can ever go wrong. Cause, well, because we, we still think that we're the yeah. chosen people. Yeah, right? we think we're the chosen ones yeah. and nothing can go wrong and, and nothing about the fact that we could have had total advanced civilizations on this planet. Yeah. long before and, and any and, other number of places in the universe oh yeah and things happen and, yeah. and wipe you out and you end up going from an industrial advanced mm-hmm. industrial back to hunter gather right yeah. and as soon as you go back to hunter gather then you start losing all the things you ever knew and eventually it's where did that come from that's a Aliens made that. Mm-hmm. Aliens must have made that because there's no other possible explanation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the truth is we can't prove they didn't. No. Right? That, well, but for an extraordinary claim, we would hope we would have yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, evidence. but I think we're starting to figure some of the stuff out that, oh, they probably did it like this <laughs> type thing as we get smarter again, yeah. right? But we'll, then we get to the point where we rely totally on that technology. Mm-hmm. Something happens and you're back to hunter-gatherer stage and, yeah. and someday somebody's going to look at some of the stuff that survives from us and go, where the hell did that come from? And who yeah. made that? Who made right? that? Yeah. Who yeah. made that? Those, yeah. those folks were weird. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> look, it had to be aliens must have come in and, and mated yeah. with humans or something because nobody could figure that out. <laughs> yeah, no shit, yeah. dude. Yeah. So, hey, man, before we wrap up, <clears throat> yeah. um, is there anything that you would tell somebody who's struggling to get off the street, like some things that, some tips that you might just give people who might be struggling? Um, so, if you're struggling to kind of get off the street, Street. Um, well, number one, there's a lot of people out there who do nothing but give their time mm-hmm. to help people figure out how to get off the streets and what they should be doing with themselves. Take advantage of those things, I would definitely say. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, for every person, it's an individual struggle. You have to find what in yourself needs to change in order for you to go forward, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to do that and you have to, um, you have to kind of, yeah, make a veil of the resources that are available to you, right? And and there's all kinds, right? And mm-hmm. if you're having, still having trouble with addiction, well, then we know there's all kinds. All you have to do is go to any of the rehab centers or the, the homeless shelters and ask for help, and they will help you get it yeah. and get lined up and go through it. But if, if, if you're not even that and you're just having struggles with life and everything, that's you have to find out what within you causes that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't. Like, I was very lucky, I think, to find it, right? Like, it took a lot of soul searching and stuff. And mm-hmm. I think I know that a lot of people don't ever find it, right? But so maybe that's, maybe you have to spend some time in self-contemplation. Mm-hmm. And you have to be honest with yourself. You can't wash over it and, and, and kind of, you have to really kind of dig deep and look at core causes of things, mm-hmm. right? And figure it out. And a lot of people had very rough lives and everything, and it can go back to even your childhood and stuff, yeah. but you have to kind of figure that out and then find a way to get past it. And and that's not easy either, but like I said, there's people that will help you, right? And that's all you can do is keep going forward. It's it's the one day at a time thing from, yeah. from AA and addiction, right? Like take one same day at concept, a time. Eh? Yeah, same concept, no matter what you're in, because it's like... Recovery and, and Wayne is teaching us that um, you don't have to be in recovery from a substance addiction. 
mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You can be in recovery from just life, right? Yeah. And and sometimes you are in recovery from life, and 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 it's the same principles as 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 of substance abuse, right? Like yeah. you take one day at a time, and you figure it out, and you just make small steps forward. Yeah, and that's all I would really tell people is that we, that's kind of what you have to do. Right? Like, I like that um, small steps forward. Yeah, that's kind of what it is, right? Like it's not, you can't make big leaps because it doesn't really work out, yeah. right? Like you didn't, you have to create yourself a safety net and you do that by taking small steps. Right on. Right? Small steps. It reminds me of what uh, Richard was saying a couple of weeks ago when he said, we just try to do a little something every day. Yep. That's, yeah, just a little something every day. And right the, old, the old, well-known sayings of the the, the Mm -hmm. journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? Like, and that's all you can do. So we keep saying that shit because it's obviously it's true. Yeah. And and, (laughs) to some extent. And and I think when you find out and, and make it work for you, then you truly find out it is true and, and, and truly helpful to you. Yeah. Right. And that's it. Yeah. You take small steps. Right. It's like, I was like wanting to be the president of the company the first day. Doesn't yeah. ever really quite work out. <laughs> <laughs> you can understand why we would want that, though. Oh yeah, I can understand yeah. why everyone would want it. I'd want it myself, but after all these years, I realized it don't really quite work out that way. Yeah, yeah. you got that right. It's yeah. kind of like you, everybody wants the present without doing the work, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which is fair. I mean, yeah. I don't blame people for well, that. The other thing is they don't actually ever see the work the president actually does or exactly. had to get there to become that president, yeah. right? Like he wasn't handed to him either. Right? No, no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the big so, difference. Yeah, and that is the big difference. Well, Bill, thank you so much, man. Always. Um, Appreciate you coming on. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.